0: Hello, folks. It's, um, it's been a long time between drinks, and uh, I trust that you're all well. Um, you know, we, uh, we don't want to simply put a, a podcast out each week because that's what you've come to expect, and uh, as such, I think it's been four, five, six weeks since we've had an episode uh, released into this um, particular channel. Um, and uh, we, uh, I actually read a book recently um, by a bloke called Henri Nguyen, pronounced in Australian, Henry Nowen and uh, anyway he was writing on uh, Kairos time and Kronos time and uh, it was interesting for me because uh, he, he said are we, are we living by real time or clock time so you know clock time Chronos, uh, real time Kairos and uh, he essentially expressed that um, you know clock time is when we, we essentially want to do things according to when it's the right time in our opinion for it to be done even whether, even if it's hard pushing or hard lifting. But Chronos time is is the right time, the right season for it to be done. So we have a guest today that um, happens to be here, and uh, it feels like the right time to uh, ask him a few questions for the benefit of the um, purpose of this particular podcast, and that is, like we've always said right along, to to help us think and have conversations and pray about where we're at and how we're being sent by... um, Father God into our missional spaces. And, um, and uh, the guest today is known to some of you, um, but to potentially um, to many of you, um, you haven't heard his name before, um, speaks uh, into church matters and kingdom matters uh, with such clarity and uh, with, with very well thought through um, time and as and a gift in teaching, uh, such that I'd love to ask him some questions. I'm gonna get a lot of benefit out of this. But before we ask too many questions in around the mission things, it's probably best that we get to know this guy. And uh, his name's Craig Kirkby, um, and uh, he's come across to Adelaide from Melbourne to conduct a search engine optimization online marketing workshop. We won't be talking anything about that today. Um, so welcome, Craig. Thank thanks. You, Craig. Thanks for uh, jumping into my cube. The studio <laughs> uh, is the elaborate name for this little box. Um, and welcome to Adelaide. It was interesting to see that a bloke from Melbourne steps off a plane and says, "Oh, it's chilly here." I thought, "Well, wow, if you've come from Melbourne," mate. Yeah. Uh, so uh, look, I, I wouldn't mind just for our listeners' sake, uh, hearing a bit more about who you are, where you're from, and uh, what brings you here. Uh, it's interesting that uh, I, I've known you for I don't know the best part of eight years now yeah, since yeah, you've come yeah, to Australia. Seven years, yeah. Yeah, 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 since you've come to Australia, and you shared some things. I think it was on Friday, and just went, "Wow!" That, I mean, that that, that helps me dramatically in regard to how it is you've come to be who you are and um and it's really encouraged me and inspired me so um how, how did you even come to be in australia because as soon as people will soon discover you have an accent that's mm. not necessarily the straight down the line ocker <laughs> accent
1: yeah yeah well craig thanks for having me i've i've known you for seven years and i think um through this time i've met a lot of those who do travel with you and um, you share a little bit of your life a little bit here and there and everywhere and i think sometimes people can get either a correct picture or a partial picture. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, although I'm pretty loath to share my own story all the time, I do see the value in me trying to um, just piece it together a little bit for those who are listening to understand my context because everything does have a context and um, yeah. my story is only understood through that context as your story has a context too. Um, to answer your specific question, um, we came to Australia seven years ago because we felt a deep burden in God for this country and um, we came here out of a successful fruitful time of our life in South Africa working um, very much in the missional organic space um, running my own business or being part of a business that I'd started um, selling up everything coming to Australia where we knew no one Mm -hmm. um, because God told us to and I think that that um is foolish to many people but um to us it was an adventure we um my wife lorna and two kids of 4 and 7 embarked on because god told us and and we saw the and and confirmed through many others and the, the beautiful family we were a part of a spiritual family we were a part of um and we just saw god's provision every step of the way including your friendship mate so um yeah i don't know if that answers the question yeah, yeah
0: no, no no look i i, I was just thinking um I, I, I've heard the story before, but um, you were actually pastoring a church, the senior pastor in a church in South Africa, and uh, you know you came to a point of, of changing mm. things around because mm. of things you'd learned or a time you had with some mm. eldership or leadership mm. of the church. Can you just talk us through what happened yeah.
1: there? Yeah, um, I was uh, 28 years old when I was pastoring um, a church, and um, within three years we had Really, in many ways, um, hit a real gush of fruitfulness. Um, we nearly had three hundred adults in the church, uh, leadership of thirty people uh, that includes eldership and and cell group leaders, but a really strong eldership of five, five couples, um, but we were busy, frantically busy um, and as good as my leadership team was, um, because of my own limitations and because of the system we were a part of, really, um, I was burning out, mm. and I realized that can I sustain this? We had three services on a Sunday, Bible school on a Tuesday night. Um, we ran a year of your life, um, year for 20 school leavers. It was pumping. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you'd asked me, what does a su- successful church look like? I'd say, well, hey, have a look, yeah. Right. But, but I realized that um, everyone was watching me burn out. And as much as they wanted to do more and would do more if they could, our system didn't really allow that. So um, I took a bit of time of reflection out and sought out some counsel from a man much older than me in the faith who had, was in a total different family stream to me even, but had gone through burnout himself and recovered and I asked him to analyze my life. And he helped me realize I am a candidate for burnout 10 years down the track. Right. So I'm like, oh, Father, what do I do? Um, it, so that was happening in my own heart. Um, as an eldership, we were... Um, we were group of five men and our, our wives who were tracking together. Every Thursday night the men would meet together for two hours of fellowship and prayer and about 30 minutes of business. It really was a fantastic fellowship group. Mm-hmm. We, we, because I think we've honoured relationship and prayer, business decisions were fairly easy to do, and so it was certainly not a business kind of setting. Um, so in our prayer time, um, we were just praying the five men. Uh, I was the youngest of those five men. The oldest was in his 60s. Um, We just felt God speak to us. And uh, out of 2 Corinthians 11, (laughs) where Paul talks about um, he's jealous um, for the church because they've lost their simplicity in Christ. Um, We felt the prophetic word to us was your hands on my bride. Um, It came out of nowhere, really. Um, We were on our knees. Oh, God, what does that mean? I thought we were doing something right. Yeah, yeah. Um, What on earth could this mean? It really rattled us. There were a lot of tears and the seeking of the Father, saying, Father, is if, is, if this is a word from you, we, we can't just um, turn it into a nice message, or a nice thought, or a nice memory, so I, I, I was in the middle of a preaching series, as us pastors do, and um, I said to the, my, my fellow elders, I just said, guys, I can't do part four on Sunday, um, how, what do I do, what do we do, so we agreed to actually share what it had happened that Thursday night on Sunday morning, um, it was Thursday night, by Friday, Friday past, Saturday past, I'm, I'm thinking we're making a big mistake, I'm <laughs> tempted to hijack the whole thing Sunday and say, pull rank and say, no, no, I must preach the word of God, but yeah, yeah we, the five elders. Uh, we just shared our perspective of what happened on Thursday night, and we called the church to pray. To, to help us understand what God may be saying. So we asked them to come for to pray for the next week, mm-hmm. uh, Monday through Saturday, the following week. And, um, early morning prayer, we encourage people to fast if they can in any way that they want to do. Um, just We wanted to communicate our appropriate s- uh, soberness in what we had heard and yeah. um, just how much this had rattled us. Um, so Monday morning I'm up at 5 o'clock getting ready to go to early morning prayer meeting at 6.00. Thinking, okay, I've just made the biggest pastoral blunder in <laughs> history. Um, who does that kind of stupid stuff? Yeah. Um, so I'm driving there thinking we'll probably have a few crazies. I'm thinking the pastor's crazy and worried about the church. And 90% of the church was there for a 6 o'clock morning prayer meeting. And suddenly I'm thinking, yeah, they are coming out to watch the crazy. Wow. Either that yeah, yeah, or something's yeah. happening.
0: Were there any cameras there? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and yeah, we had um, that kind of participation all week. So much so that it turned into ten weeks of prayer and fasting, in various shapes. Um, There's the type of thing, you read in a book. Uh, oh, you can't re- you can't replicate that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't make that happen. And it was, it was. Um, I think, um, I mean, without question, God was doing something. Yeah. It was. We were resp- <clears throat> responding to Him. Um, some of the human elements were probably. Some people may have thought, let's see where this goes. This is the oh, first time okay. there's some excitement happening. I don't okay. know, you know okay. how we yeah, react to things. Yeah. But I can't question that it was God. Um, the sincerity of our prayers, the intensity of our prayers, there was no orchestration. Yeah. People would just come up to the altar in our building and just get on their knees and start weeping. Father, and seeking, Father, what do you want to change in me? What do you want to change in us? So there was a real spur of contrition and repentance. Mm. Um, that during those 10 weeks turned into a cry for the nations, which wasn't again orchestrated. There was this, out uh, of this repentance, there was this um, response Father, use us to change the world. Um, Father, use us to love the nations. And, and we had a mission department and we did the mission up to Africa, you know, beyond South African borders. And, Whereabouts um, were you
0: based in Africa? Uh,
1: we, we were in Queenstown, South Africa, okay. which is in the Eastern Cape of South Africa, so about eight hours' drive south of Johannesburg. Okay.
0: Is that where you were born, bread and buttered or that was...
1: No, I was, I was born, bread and buttered in Johannesburg and then felt this call to this town called Queenstown. It was a fairly small town. Um, and, and so, so during these, these 10 weeks, we, we um, got to the point where we were prepared to throw everything out. Um, deep internal reflection on my own part as a leadership, as a church... Mm-hmm. Um, Sunday mornings even became about seeking God, listening, waiting. What are you feeling? What are you hearing? Well, you just can't manufacture that anyway. You really. can't. You yeah. can't. No, you can't. It was definitely the Lord. And I think there was enough brokenness in us as a leadership to say, um, we don't want to hijack what God's doing. We, we don't want to quickly run aside and, and nail it for ourselves and tell the people what this is. Yeah. God's doing something and we need to get our hands off the bride and, yeah. and let... The Holy Spirit do what He wants to do. So even we canned the. We had a lot of cell groups that meet most Wednesdays. and we just said, let's all pull together. Yeah. Just to listen. So there was for, through ten weeks. Um, early morning prayer. We, we had a fantastic turnout all the time, uh, and then this Wednesday and we, we canned all the programs we were doing. We had a kind of a tele tele uh, telephone counseling setting, which we kept going. That was the only thing we kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, just so we could listen. And through that process, um, we had seven people on staff. We the staff all agreed um, that within the next year we'd all find secular work. Well, what, what drove that? It, it, it was this. It was a realization that um, we owned two properties and we were renting a third. And 70 to 80% of our budget was going to rentals and, and salaries for staff. And we thought um, we want to reverse that. We want to see that kind of money given to the lost, the poor, the broken, who are just around the corner in okay. Africa. You don't have to go far okay. to find a great need. <coughs> Why are we paying? Why are we putting 80% of our income? It wasn't
0: like you guys needed a re- reality check <laughs> or anything like that. It was driven out of a, where are the resources going?
1: Yeah, good point. Uh, <coughs> I, I think, on, look, we made this up as we went. Uh, there was no book for us to follow. Mm-hmm. We had great spiritual fathers in our life, like Tony Fitzgerald, Um and, and others who spoke into it very clearly and helped us at points where we probably would have um, tried to seek control. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and try to steer it. Um, Tony recognized something was happening. And I was in regular contact with Tony Fitzgerald. And he said, Craig, just create space for God. Create space for God. Create space for God. Listen, listen, listen. So without that coaching, I'm quite sure we would have made we made other errors, but we would have made some m- more serious errors that may have aborted what God was doing. Just, just a, as an adjunct before we continue the story, yeah. um,
0: Tony Fitzgerald, just give us a, a brief wow. connection um, for, a, for that. I mean, uh, it's difficult to
1: do. No, no, no. Uh, I, I um, After I came to Faith in Christ in um, my first year of uni, um, out of a very secular um, worldview um, mm-hmm. pursuing a sports career, um, I quickly made advance in the biggest church in South Africa called Rhema Ministries, and was on part-time pastoral staff there. Um, you know, fantastic, what I thought, youth ministry where we did incredible events impacting the world through events of three to 5,000 young
0: people. Is, is it worthwhile saying, you know, Rhema would have been equivalent to what Hillsong might be now yeah, in South yeah, Africa? Yeah, yeah, uh,
1: yeah, without question, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely, on that kind of scale and yeah. magnitude. And um, we, we were... Uh, I was, um, we had a youth pastor and I was one of the two assistant youth pastors, um, and then a big um, pastoral staff that ran the youth, and um, we thought we were just the bee's knees. Um, we were very critical of the actual pastoral staff, the old school, <laughs> like, like a, friction the, between us. Really? On oh, the same team, oh, essentially? Actually, 300 yeah. pastoral. The old the, guys the, and the young guys. The ones. staff was 300 pastors. It's it's a massive so, church. So like Twenty thousand people in the church. Wow. Three hundred pastors, let S- on all. Team the within, stuff, teams within teams within teams. And stuff. we were the youth team, and we were going to show the old guys how to do <clears> it. <throat> we had no father figures in our lives, and yeah, right. and the sad reality is, is many of those um, young men that I was peers with then, um, are not serving the Lord today, or um, far from mm-hmm. their calling and destiny. And, um, we we Look, it was a big ego trip. Um, I came from a, a secular world where I was trying to make a name for myself, found Jesus, he saved me deeply, mm-hmm. um, humbled me, turned me inside out, and then suddenly found myself in a church world where we we're chasing the same things. Yeah. And I don't know why, but um, I was, what, I'm trying to think, Twenty twenty two by that stage, 23, somewhere around there, thinking... Um, I'm not really enjoying this. We're doing a lot of... I already see the manipulation tactics of con, you know, altar calls and how we're doing these kind of things. and, yeah. um, Basically driven to get the numbers games up, attendance, buildings, cash flow, yeah. Yeah. how many salvations, how many salvations. Okay, driven to... So driven. Then I met a man named Ron Robinson who was the opposite of that. Ron Robinson um, was a man who brought great influence into our country through Kingdom Mission... Um, church planning, Christian education, but ran this totally pathetic, small-scale church <laughs> down the road that I would never step in because they're yeah. not doing anything real for God. Yeah, yeah. But there was life, there was community, the value of family. Um, um, yes, yeah, so I met this man, and I'm going like, oh my word, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, all that, when I read the Scriptures and I, I understand Jesus, and I understand the father of God. This is a man that I want to learn from. So uh, I made that's a massive decision to leave Raymond. ask asked him to release me. Everyone thought, in terms of a career move, it was not smart. You enter that church, yeah. that kind of church. Um, they're like, um, everyone wants to be like us. Who wants to be like them. Yeah. Um, and I sat under Ron's ministry. Um, and Ron's spiritual father was Tony Fitzgerald. Right, so I okay. got to meet Tony through that. Um, and I probably had a greater affinity with Tony than even Ron in mm-hmm. terms of our gift mix. Um, and Ron was very generous and just you know, whenever Tony was in town, he would call me so I could meet Tony. He obviously recognized that connection, was never going to try to own me yeah. and just passed me on to, to Tony when necessary. So I had a very good relationship with Tony. it's like our grandfather. Ron was my father. Yeah. We never used those terms, but it was the relationship uh, until Ron passed away. Um, it was just natural for me to see Tony as a spiritual man in my life. So by the time I was pastoring this church, Tony was the spiritual father in my life. And although Tony um, was very um, involved, I wasn't really... Pra- I, my practice mm-hmm. of, of how I was leading this church wasn't really how Tony would do it, but he didn't criticize that. I was really building it out from a very pastoral, a pastor-centered, a meeting-centered approach. It's the
0: incredible mark of the man, though in the sense
1: that It of, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony, Tony imparts values. Yeah. And um, whatever your methodology is, he doesn't criticize that even though he wouldn't live in that necessarily because he knows values all went out. Yeah, yeah. And um, he always reasons from relationship structure not the other way around and values to structure yeah. not the other way around. So um, his he's impartation into my heart of values and all that were some of the catalytic reasons why I was questioning these things and um, why... Why does this system put so much pressure on a man like me who wants to delay, who wants to share, and these good people who want to do so much more, they they trap from actually doing more because of our system that's so pastor-dependent, pulpit-dependent. So, I mean, in that first week of prayer... Um, the first week of 10 weeks, I'm hearing people repent for their dependence on Craig's teaching. And I'm like, oh, Father. <laughs> should um, they be re- repenting or should I repent? <laughs> well, I'm yeah. already repenting. But, <laughs> and they're, and they're yeah, repenting yeah. for the worship that they depended on. And Lorna was the le- worship. So I'm like, okay, we're officially out of a job. No, but there was this re- reality of um, a reconnection during this 10 weeks of prayer and fasting. Yeah. The centrality of Jesus, our dependence on Him, Rather than on the systems and the pastors and the structures that we have, so structure is not bad for me. Excuse yeah, me. yeah. It's just where our dependencies lie, and so um, through that ten-week period, we realised things had to fundamentally change, and that's where Tony was so good in helping us understand what now I understand is more of a, a missional wineskin or an organic church wineskin. Although I'm not talking house church by saying that. Yeah. I'm talking about a mission defining um, way of looking at rather than a meeting defining or a church defining way of looking at things. Yeah. so, so um, Laura and I uh, as part of this process mm. as a church we, we want to look at um, uh, over the next three years how do we transition as a church to be far more fluid? not dependent on these things. Um, and from there sprung a lot of emotional life, including us getting kicked out of the nest, so to speak, to, to back to Joburg to see something similar established.
0: Uh, there, there are so many directions. Oh. So like, you know, when I grew yeah. up, we, we used to have like six crossroads, you know, so you'd, you'd come yeah. up to this crossroads just to <laughs> anybody you can come from anywhere, anytime. I feel like we're at that junction now where we could go many different places. Mm-hmm. And we've gone past what we normally mm-hmm. do with uh, a 15 minute podcast. Um, fascinating stuff. We'll close this one off and for those of you who want to keep listening, um, I think next episode we'll just continue some of the story which in and of itself uh, yeah. helps me see some of the values which are fundamental and important for us to be uh, missional in our lives and in our communities. So uh, th- thanks Craig, yeah, um, I, no matter how many times I hear this story, uh, it always inspires me to think differently about my own space and context.